Hello, everybody, and welcome again to uh, Weekly Inspiration. Uh, what a story in this uh, weekly portion. We talk about two brothers, to remind you. Uh, one of them uh, want to kill uh, his brother, which he claims he stole the blessing for him, to remind me. To remind you, remind me, remind everybody, he didn't stole the blessing because the blessing truly belonged to Jacob. Because if you look at the contract, I'm not a lawyer, but if you look at the contract, the contract between Esau and Jacob after the soup is he won the birthright. But jealousy is jealousy. That's a way jealousy go forever. And even if it's between two brothers, unfortunately, so Esau back, uh, he's, he want to kill Jacob. Now let's look at the campaign from Jacob's point of view. From Jacob's point of view, Jacob is basically working for the most evil, dangerous man in the world. And he worked there for 20 years. He has two wives, uh, two concubines, uh, 11 kids, and one on the way. And he's living. Last week, Lavan is chasing him. They make peace. They shake hands. Everybody is okay. They continue on their journey. Now, Jacob is asked to deal with his brother who tried to kill him. Let's think about it. I mean, in our generation, in our time, you know, avoiding its style. Avoiding become the way to deal with everything. You avoid it. And tomorrow will be okay. You talk to Israeli people, they will say to you, Iyetov. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. No, no, it's not going to be okay. Be okay. Why? You got to do something about it. Jacob is teaching us a great lesson. You have to deal with your enemy. You have to deal with the situation. But you have to find the balance. You can kill your enemy. And you cannot say it's going to be okay. You got to find out. You cannot get divorced because you don't get along with your husband or your wife. But in the same time, you cannot just sit there and get abused. You have to do something about your life. You cannot avoid the problem. That's what this portion is about. Is about we have an issue, we have a problem, we need to deal with it. We cannot just avoid it. And that's Jacob's lesson to us. Let's understand it deeper. What is Jacob actually doing? Jacob basically using his, maybe I should call it the PR campaign he has, and he makes sure that Esau will get his Twitter that is, uh, uh, have been 20 years with the most evil person in the world, and he made it. Of course, when Esau listened to it, it's scary a little bit. You are dealing with a person who survived a task that no other human ever survived, and he's your brother that you want to kill, and he's about to meet with you. Now you start hmm, thinking again, do I want to go to war with a guy like that? Hmm, not sure. They're meeting each other. What do you think Jacob is doing as a beat with him? Remember, the campaign, the news, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal all say one thing. Jacob lived with a very dangerous man and he survived. Not only he survived, he came with all the money. Ooh, it's on the front page of New York Times. And that front page of the New York Times say, I want to meet with you. Now you want to kill him, but in that one... Maybe I don't want to kill him. Maybe just talking. Maybe just breakfast. Now, when that person from New York Times, Wall Street Journal, PR, whatever you want to call it, Fox 5 or CBS, is coming to see you, you know what he does? He bow to you. 
And he started thinking, what's going on? That's, that's this guy that I'm supposed to bow to. He bowed to me seven times. And after seven times of bowing to me, he come and he gave me a hug. And all what I want to do is to kill him a few hours ago. What happened as a result, say the Torah? Esau, instead of biting him in his neck because he want to kill him, gave him a kiss. Here is the roots of transformation of every area of your life. Your relationship, your well-being, your business. That's called the balance point. That is the balance. This is the story of, of the week. And I hope that people listen to this story again every week. If you want to get your relationship better, if you want to make your life better, because it's to find the balance. And I would look, continue the story before I'm going deep into the portion. It's an important story. So those of you who even heard just the first 10 minutes of my lecture would be good enough for you. You don't have to continue to hear everything. But if you want to hear more, of course, you're welcome to stay. The rest of the story, we are hearing another story. Jacob arrived to the city of Shechem, Nablus, where we call today, where most of the problem in Israel happened now. And then that city called Nablus, basically his own daughter, Jacob's daughter, unfortunately, get around with the, with the, with the wrong people. Get around with the wrong people, thing going out of control, the rumor is out. Mm, the two brothers of Dina, that's her, her name, which is three of them are Jacob's children. So the two brothers named Levi, Levi, like Levi, Levi Strauss, Levi, and Shimon, like Simon, make a conscious decision to go and do some. Revenge, almost like you see in those mafia movies. And they make a claim to the people who live in Nablus and say, listen, if you circumcise yourself, you might accept you as a family. And they agree. And the day after they do the circumcision, or three days after to another commentary, they took the sword and they basically start killing every man in that town. A negative energy that lasts forever. Jacob heard about it and say, shame on you. What is going on? Because Jacob has the style of how to find not being aggressive, not being passive and avoiding, being more assertive. And here we see that the two sons acting in an aggressive way. And for that reason, the negativity is there. A lesson for us, for all of us, is how we cope, how we deal how we cope, how we deal with life. How we deal with life. Are you going aggressive and scream? Or are you staying passive and avoid? Or you find the center column. You find the center column. Jacob represents the balance, the assertiveness, how to behave. Don't avoid the situation. Don't go aggressive with the punch. Find a better way. You know, I had... Uh, Wonderful, wonderful gentleman that I love so much from uh, living Boca Raton. And we, every time we, we talk Torah, we have to talk politics. You know, he's, he's big on politics. Doesn't matter who we believe in right now. But we 
you talk about the Republican, Democrat, the Republican, Democrat, you know, this is better, this worse, this better. So I told them that the both party has issues that they have to address. I told them today. So this party have to address that part, that party, you gotta find something in the middle. Something in the middle. Once you find something in the middle that address both party need to address, it's going to work because that's been caring about the people. When you care about the people, you really truly care about the people, like Jacob cared for Esau. Jacob has enough power, enough blessing from his father to, to, to not care about Esau, but he wants to deal with it. The two sons want to deal with it, but the way they dealt with it was in a way that they win and the other person lose. That's not a win, guys. Win mean everybody win. Win mean everybody win. And if you are the only one to win, you lost. Let's say you and your husband, you and your children, you somehow manipulate your kids to do whatever you want them to do. You won, woo, genius, blah. Everybody tell you, oh my God, I didn't do that. And you get the compliment, then you go, blah, 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 blah. But in the other day, did you really win? Look at the 20 years period, you don't win. Win has to be center column, balance, balance. And that's a tough one. It's very difficult to be balanced. It's very easy to take one way or another. You see, sometimes um, uh, pa parents or husband and wife have an argument. And she said, he said, he said, she said, he said, she said, that she said, that he said, that he said. Never going to end. But balance will be okay. How do I get out of the conversation that both parties win? Now we talk about love. True love comes from a place that you're presenting both columns. If you look at the two sides of the light bulb, if I put the minus and the plus, everybody knows that of the wire of electricity together, it's going to create explosion, shortcut. It's not going to work. Right? This is your opinion. It's plus. The other person is minus. Not minus is negative. Minus and plus. If you put them together, but if you put a resistor, that's I think that's what they call it in electronic. You put like a resistance. You put like a, a filament between the two sides. Then you have light. What is that resistance? It's a tough thing to do, my friend. I'm going to resist what I'm going to say. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to hold it. I'm not going to tell you everything. I'm going to tell you, it's like a, a wife just uh, give birth after two babies, one after another. And she asked her husband, do you think my body went back to what it was before? Now, if the husband say yes, and it's not so, he's lying. If the husband say no, he looked terrible. Now, he's in between a call of right and left, which way you choose. That, that's that's all the situation I'm talking about. I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm not going to get involved in politics with your other wife, okay? Make sure I say that. So this week portion has within it a way to bring balance into our life. And if we are not capable to bring that balance, my friend, then chaos would be unfortunately, uh, chaos would be a part of how it looks like right now of everywhere we go, unfortunately. Because once there is an agenda to receive, everybody want to take, 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 take. And everybody want to win, win, win. Everybody want to be right, right, right. Chaos. Chaos, chaos. And chaos says no, no order. When you bring too much order, 
you remove creativity from the horizon. If you put uh, your kids into perfect order, then they have no creativity. If you give them too much creativity, then there is no order. Balance. Balance between the two. Okay. The same north, the same thing with the, with the relationship between spiritual leader to business people. A lot of time we see that uh, uh, business people, you know, disrespect spirituality. And we see spirituality disrespect business people. I'd like to share with you a personal story. I was sitting in my office, and we used to live in Boca Raton, Florida. And uh, I hear some noise in the parking lot. My office was a corner office, beautiful. You can see the window, everything outside. I see, I see a car coming into the parking lot there. And I see this guy come with the convertible Lamborghini. And that's my next meeting. So I see the guy come out and he has a gold watch with diamond and the boots and necklace. He's coming to meet the Liao. So to be honest with you, I'm looking through the window. I mean, I have to tell you that. And I'm start judging him. I say, why am I meeting with a guy who drives Lamborghini convertible, gold all over his body? You know, he's not into spirituality. What is our connection here? I'm all about spirituality, letting go, forgiveness. This guy's all about getting, getting, getting. And I'm judging him. I am judging the guy. So he's sitting in my office. He takes the big couch there and he put it leg. Like it's getting worse, right? It's getting worse. Tell me all about all his girls, the young girls he get. And physical, 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 physical. And I'm sitting there and I say, Hashem, God, uh, what is my test? There is a test going on for me. And I didn't know. But the guy, the guy's name is Johnny. He's allowed me to use his name. And Johnny... Looking at me, and he say, Rabbi. Didn't even call me Rabbi, he called me Eliyahu. He said, Eliyahu, are you judging me? He, he caught me. And I said, uh, <laughs> actually, I do. He smiled, he wasn't angry, so he said to me, you judge me because I have a fancy car and gold watch and all this and that and you said ah, somebody so fancy like me would never get spirituality because i'm close-minded i'm all about money that's what he's telling me i said yes and he said to me you know you need to be more open that happened exactly i will tell you when it happened it happened around 17 years ago 18 years ago he said to me you, you should be more open because you never know the person in front of you. Somebody can be very poor and not even penny in his pocket and it's not spiritual. Somebody who be a billionaire and is more spiritual than a poor person. You gotta know people. And I thank him for that. I said, Johnny, thank you so much. You woke me up. You woke me up. You know, I really enjoy saving people from the street and all this. I was dealing with the rehab at that time. I was volunteering the rehab and help. There's many people I could help. And he said, listen, without us, he told me, he said, it sounds like ego. You need my money, he said to me. You need my money to build your place. You want to buy a toy, you need my money. Is that not a spiritual act? If I let go of $100,000 that I can use for vacation, the fancy place, and give you to buy the most fancy toy. So you're right. So mezuzot cost money to make. I pay for that. So here you go. I can turn physical into spiritual, and that's the balance, my friend. I thank him, and I ask him if he can become my mentor at that day. 
And he said, yes, I'm going to help you and I'm going to guide you out to turn your place, not just spirituality, to understand the business idea and that both idea together can work. The section in the Zohar of this parasha talk about balance between the two. We're getting into the meaning of the parasha according to the Zohar. Debbie will read the English first. She's going to read about three verses and then I'm going to jump into the subject. Please, Deb. Rabbi Shimon opened the discussion with the verse, As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Hashem. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face. We have already studied this verse, yet come and behold. It is written, And there hath not arisen a prophet in Israel such as Moses. What differs Moses from the rest of the prophets in the world? Moses looked in the illuminating mirror, Zeranpin, and the rest of the prophets looked only in a mirror that was not illuminating, the Nukva. Moses heard the prophecy, stood on his legs, and his strength grew. He knew things for certain, as it is written, manifestly and not in dark speeches. The rest of the prophets fell on their faces during prophecy, and their strength weakened. They could not fully clarify the matter, since it is written, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, and he limped upon his thigh. This is so because the prophecy is from Netzach and Hod of Zeranpin, which are the two thighs, and since the thigh was scathed, their prophecy was therefore not sufficiently lucid. And all these prophets could not perceive what the Creator was going to do to Esau, except for Prophet Obadiah, who was a proselyte who came from the side of Esau. He thoroughly understood in the matter of Esau, and his strength did not fade, as it is written in the book Obadiah. And and the strength of the rest of the prophets faded, and they could not stand and perceive matters properly and thoroughly. This is so because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, even in the sinew of the thigh vein, which took and sucked out all all of the thigh's strength. This is why the thigh, this is why the strength of the thigh was broken, and he remains limped upon his thigh, since all the prophets of the world could not attain and endure it. So what, what we just read, what Debbie just read from the Zohar, it's so, it's so amazing, it's so beautiful. Rabbi Shimon has revealed something to us. The prophet Moses, nobody ever reached to that level of prophecy. It doesn't matter whoever you think you are. Moses reaching the Aspaklaria Mira, meaning the mirror that shine, not the mirror that reflect, you know, what we call the Dukha versus the Nukva. And all the other prophet could not stand like Moses while he is connecting to the Creator. They fell apart. They fell from their feet. And it's called Vaiplual Pleem. They fell on their face. And then the prophecy happened. Uh, he also mentioned the Ovadiah, the prophet who converted. And because of that, he could actually prophesize on, on the future of what's going to happen to the nation of Esav, the Esau. But we need to understand, how is that connect to the whole idea of Yaakov? So the Zohar is bringing it up, that basically when the angel of Esau, which is Sam, attacked Jacob, he attacked him in his leg. Of course, the question has been raised, why he attack him in his leg? Why he doesn't attack him in his arm? Why he doesn't attack him in his chest? There's other area to attack him, he just attack him in his leg. And what is the significance of the leg? What is the leg? We know that if you go a little bit deeper with Kabbalah, that the leg represents Netzach Ve'od. Netzach Ve'od is the prophecy. The prophecy come from Netzach Ve'od, like when you remember Shmuel Anavi. Shmuel Anavi was uh, when he killed Amalek. He said, "Netzach Israel lo yishaker." 
he used the word Netzach. When he talk about the prophet in the time of Hanukkah, he's talk about Hod, Odo Halai, the Odo Afar Halai Kemashchit. So one time Netzach Ve'od is the prophecy. Is the whole idea of the prophecy come from Netzach Ve'od. So what does that mean when the when the, the angels of Esau, the evil force that exists in the world, attack Yaakov exactly in his leg? We need to fully understand it. So let's continue. Debbie will read the next three verses again. When one who studies Torah has none to support him, none to toss money for produce into his pocket, to strengthen him, this is why the Torah is forgotten in every generation. The strength of the Torah wanes further every day. For those who engage in the Torah have not what to rely on. As it is written, he limped upon his thigh. They do not give strength and support to the disciples of the wise so they can engage in Torah. For this reason, the evil malchut strengthens every day. How much has this sin caused? And because the Torah, which is Zelenpin, has no one to properly support her, the supports of Zelenpin, Netzach, and Hodze Zelenpin grew weak, and they caused the one without shins and legs, which is the primordial serpent, to stand over them. And the Lord God said, Upon thy belly shalt thou walk, since his supports were broken and his legs chopped off, and he has nothing to stand on. So are Israel, if they do not want to rely on the Torah to provide for disciples of wise, who engage in the Torah. They give the serpent support and shins to stand on and be strengthened in. This is so because the Samech Aleph is built of deficiency in the Kedusha, holiness. How much deceit and cunningness did that rider of the serpent, Samech Mem, devise against Jacob on that night? It is because he knew, as it is written, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. For if the voice of Jacob, the voice of Torah, ceases, then the strength is given to the hands, the hands of Esau. Hence, he looked to all sides to harm Jacob and to cease the voice of Torah. But he saw him strong in every way. He saw the arms, Chesed and Gvoah, called Abraham and Isaac, which are strong. He saw the body, Jacob, who unites the two arms and strengthens between them. And, the saw, and saw the power of his Torah, that he was powerful in every way. Then he saw that he prevailed not against him. What did he do? He promptly touched the hollow of his thigh, the supports of the Torah. He schemed against him. He said that since the supports of the Torah were broken, the Torah will promptly become unable to strengthen further. And then what their father said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau, will come true. And also, when thou shalt break loose, that thou shalt shake his yoke from off thy neck. So, this first section, we just finished the first section of our lecture uh, tonight. I mean, if we think about it, what is it saying here? It's a huge revelation. The snake has no leg. Tiferet, the part of Yaakov, is in the chest. The two leg was attacked by the snake. The snake now is attacking the leg of Yaakov. Well, what is the leg of Yaakov? It's called Tomchet Torah. As I say, Netzach Ve'od represent prophecy, but Netzach Ve'od also represent Tomchet Torah. The people who support the one who study Torah. So now we are, have to change all of our awareness and consciousness about life. We usually give the respect to the teacher, to the rabbi, to the Kabbalist, to the guru, to whatever mentor. All of a sudden, the Zohar is teaching us something totally new, out of the box. It tells us that the one who gives the money to the one who teaches Torah, 
they are the one that because of that the Torah continue. Not because of the one who teach Torah. The one who teach Torah is Tiferet. Is Tiferet. He's a channel of the light of Hashem. You have a rabbi who teach Torah. So don't give me, thank me. I mean, I'm teaching you now Torah. It's not about me. Who bought the camera? Who bought this microphone? Who pay for, 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 for different thing that, that is around us? The bagel, the whatever it is. Look for those things because this is Tomchea Torah Rabotai. This is the one who gives respect. I'm going to a shul. So there is a name of all the people who donate the stone on the shul. And we actually we skip that. Hey, what they want? They're too much agava, too much this, and too much ego. It's not your business. Your business is to know who are those people that because of them the Torah continue. Unfortunately, because of there is so much jealousy and hatred among people. We don't give enough respect for the people who donate money for the scholar to continue teach and study. Those people are so important. We usually give the respect to the teacher, to the rabbi. Oh, he's a rabbi. He's so smart. So what? Who pay for the book? Who pay for his shoes? Who pay for his beautiful suit he's wearing? Somebody took care of it. When we start looking at it, then we have to start giving respect to those people. Because without those people, shalom, it would be no Torah. Going back to our story. So the angel that attacked Yaakov, why touch it? attack him in his leg? Yeah. Better punch him in his arm. Tell us the Zohar. No, he cannot. Because the arm, right arm, Avraham. Left arm, it's He can't win. Middle, the heart, you know who does it belong to? Yaakov. He couldn't go anywhere. So I said, what I'm going to attack? I'm going to attack the one who support them. If I find the one who support them, it will be no more Torah. Shalom. So you go after the leg. Just Tumchet Torah. I want to support the Torah. Look at the snake. One creature. I know you believe a worm also have no leg. But the one creature that it's called one creature that Hashem punish, you're going to walk on your belly. It's the snake. So if you don't take care of the people, which call Tomchet Torah, the one who support the Torah to continue, then you grow leg to the snake. Be careful. From this point on, I have to commit Blineder, and you have to commit Blineder, that you start giving respect for the people that because of them things are happening. They don't get enough respect. Sometimes because the rabbi enjoy getting the pride and the respect. And sometimes it's because People are jealous that there is somebody who pay for the chair of the rabbi, somebody who pay for the table of the rabbi, somebody who pay for the Torah for the rabbi, somebody who pay for the house of the rabbi. People get jealous. But without that individual or, or those people, there is nothing that exists. Those are the people who keep the Torah alive. Those are the people that because of them, we're staying alive and above water. Start giving them respect. If there is a message in this week, parasha, for, for me at least, is... We have to do that. Now the question is, why we don't do that? That's another question. Let's take me to another section of the Zohar. It's in Sulam Tetzayim. It's in Zohar Sulam Tetzayim. It's called Vaishlach Yaakov Malachim. In that section, we will start to understand why we are not capable to give enough respect to the people, like the story I told you about Boca Raton with the guy with Lamborghini. Why I couldn't respect him? Am I jealous? Am I think, why he has Lamborghini and I don't? Why? Sometimes it's 
you know, uh, preconceived notion of humanity. You know, if somebody come with a coat, $5,000 and ask him for $2 charity, you will not give him. Very simple. You're not going to give him. Very, very simple. It reminds me of a story. People said that they like Midrash. So there is a story. Nobody know what the story is about. And even if they hint a message what the story is about, I prefer not to say names. But it's a story about a great rabbi and a gentleman. I'm going to make the story short. And the story goes like this. I heard it from Rabbi Karlibach. I mean, I read it in the book of Rabbi Karlibach. Didn't hear it directly from him. The story goes that the rabbi is sitting to study and he had a knock on the door and he see a beggar coming into his office. He looked at the beggar and he recognized the, the beggar. He said, hey, my friend, I know you. What happened to you? And the rabbi looked at him and said, that you, let's say his name is Ephraim. He said, Ephraim, you, you marry the richest woman in Europe. How uh, did you become a beggar? He said, well, things didn't work out and it's not easy. He said to him, what's going on? He said to him, the truth, I need 2,000 rubles. It's a big amount. 2000, let's say he's asking you for $50,000. I need $50,000 for a wedding. Uh, and then you got to help me. He said, I don't know. I'm going to try. I'm going to talk to a few people. The rich people in town maybe gave yesterday a lot of money. I don't know if they're going to give you. He said, no, you got to do that. And the rabbi said, well, I'm not sure I can do that. I said, well, you got to do that. You got to do that for me. And uh, and uh, he come and he bring him, uh, instead of 50,000 rubles, he bring him 100 rubles, which is a nice amount. And I said to him, no, no, I need, I need, I need, you know, 2,000 rubles, I need 50,000 rubles. Yeah, they said, right. and the rabbi start judging that man, judging that poor man who bother me to study to how, bother me to do things. Why bother me? So the rabbi start going around and ask around, hey, guys, I need some volunteers to go raise money for that guy. And the volunteers try to do it. They come up with 20 rubles, 30 rubles. Nobody can bring 2,000 rubles. And every time you see that uh, beggar who used to be his friend, he looked at him and said to him, I can arrange 130 rubles. I cannot get you 2,000. I said, no, no, I want 2,000 rubles. That's what they asked. That's what I got to do. The rabbi started going around, and he hated the moment that he met the fine. He hated the moment that he has to raise money. Instead of study to I cannot believe it. Instead of study to I'm now going door to door to raise money. And he put it in his bag, good in his bag. And it take him a long time. It take away from his family. It take away from his toys. take away from everything. Just raising money. It's so humiliating. So embarrassing. So, he come back to the, after a long time, I make the long story short. It's a long, long story. And he arrived to that poor beggar. And he found him. Because he couldn't, he couldn't find him nowhere. He asked, where is he, where is he, where is he? He disappeared. So he started thinking to himself, maybe get angry with me. Maybe he was upset because last time we had a fight. Why you bother me? So he found him. He brought the 2,000 ruble. And I said to him, here is your 2,000 ruble. Please uh, go marry whoever it is in your neighborhood that you need to be married. The poor man stand up and look at the rabbi. He said, rabbi, I don't need this money. I'm a very wealthy man. He said, but you said you lost your money and look at you. He said, no. Sit down, Rabbi. You order some fancy dinner. Said, and the Rabbi is angry in the highest level, judging that poor man. So listen, I never lost my money. I'm very wealthy. He says, what, what's your problem? What's your problem? You, what have you done to me? I was wasting three and a half months for you. Why you did that to me? He said, can you please be 
just get relaxed and listen to me. It's okay, I'm listening. He said, Rabbi, I had a dream last night. I mean, not last night, the night before he came to me. In that dream, the angel showed me how beautiful your soul is, Rabbi. They show me that you built from two people. Half of your body is in heaven, in the Garden of Eden, but your leg is in hell. And when I asked the angels, why you put the rabbi's leg in hell and his all upper body is in heaven? And they told me because this rabbi never actually used his leg to do a mitzvah. He never used his leg to do good things. He only uses his brain, Torah, he uses his ears, he uses his head for tefillin, he uses everything. The two legs, he never used it. He never did bad things with the leg, but he never did good things. That's why I knew that you will have to go door to door with your leg to do good things. What we call in the, those of you who know halacha, it's called begufo. To do the mitzvah begufo. It's like one week, uh, one of the uh, local synagogue gave bags to give for the poor. And I saw poor from our balcony, from our uh, window. And I, my kids saw me running so fast to give the bag. I said, why are you running? I said, because I can do begufo. Now I can do it with my leg. Give the mitzvah, give the gift. Instead of just give a talk or give a lecture or teach somebody. is when you do something like that. And I think it's a great lesson for us to appreciate people who give. Because a lot of time we don't appreciate people who give. And we don't understand that giving and charity and receiving charity, all of those things and action of interact with human being. You cannot, if you are a rabbi and you listen to my lecture, don't just sit in your office all day long. Go out of the office. If it's even one hour a day and try to find somebody to talk to. If you don't have money to give, so talk to someone. Make somebody happy. Yesterday, my wife and me, we took a walk. We, we, get, we knew into Manhattan, so we learned some streets, some new stuff. And we saw something that for both of us looked incredible. We saw a lady who bought a, a, a lunch for a beggar. She arranged stuff next to a table and chair, and she put the food next to him. So he was, he was looking bad and smelled really bad. So she put her chair a little bit far away from him, and she kept him, have conversation with him while she bought him the food. How nice it is. How nice it is. She did it herself. She did it herself with all her fancy clothes and everything. She's sitting there, don't care what people think, who she's sitting with for lunch. And it's just amazing. We got to do it more often. Do good action with your leg. Now, why we don't do those good action with the leg? Because a lot of the time, we're lazy. A lot of the time, we don't believe that it's our merit to do the good. It, we don't do a favor to nobody. The person who needs us, doing favor to us that he needs us, it gives us a chance to share. It gives us a chance to love. It gives us a chance to forgive. It gives us a chance. It's a chance. It's like last week, I, I heard from Rabbi Mizrahi in Safra, a beautiful story. He said, what happened if Rachel will not give up her own husband, Yaakov, to Leah? She will just... Is my husband. They will end up lonely with no kids, with no nothing. Because the only reason she had kids is because she let go of her husband to Leah and Hashem remember. God remember what she did. Like she went out of her ego. The question is, how can we be like Rachel? How can we be like the rabbi? How can we get out of that comfort zone? So Debbie will read now a Zohar and we take it from there. Let's read three verses, okay? And Jacob sent messengers. Rabbi Shimon began the discussion with the verse, Better is one lightly esteemed who owns a servant than one who pranks himself but lacks bread. This verse refers to the evil inclination who constantly accuses man. 
The evil inclination causes man to become haughty and proud, encouraging man to curl his hair until the evil inclination towers over him and drags him to Gehenom. Better is one lightly esteemed, means one who does not follow the evil inclination and does not act haughtily, but humbles his spirit, heart, and will before the Holy One, blessed be he. Then the evil inclination becomes his servant, as it cannot control him. On the contrary, the person controls it, as it is written, yet you may rule over him. Then one who pranks himself is, as we said, that he puts on airs, curls his hair, and acts haughtily, but lacks bread. This means a lack of faith, as it is written, to offer the bread of his Elohim, and the bread of their Elohim they do offer. Bread is the Shekhinah in both verses. Faith is the Shekhinah, so lacking bread means lacking faith. So here we found a great discovery. Lacking of faith, lacking of emunah, lacking of belief, lacking of certainty come from ego. Ego give birth for you not to believe, not in yourself, not in God, and not in others. That's what the ego. So when you find people who don't believe in nobody, don't trust nobody, it's because they have ego. What is ego? Is ani vekochi veatzmi. Me and my power and myself. This is what the ego does. So why am I bringing it here? If we not capable, okay, if we're not capable to get into places where we control our gava, then even the good things we do, not the bad thing, the good things we do is actually make the inner evil power within us, what we call the evil inclination, way stronger, way stronger than what it was before. This is the Havana. And uh, as, uh, as, uh, as, as you can see, after Yaakov get out of Shechem, of Nablas, after what Shimon and Levi did, he said to him, Asiru kol Remove all the evil God that within you. Not with you, within you. And tell us the Tiferet Shlomo, meaning remove all the uh, uh, negativity that you accumulate by doing the right thing. A lot of time before you're doing the right thing, you have ego. You want to tell your wife what's wrong with her? You're right about it. But do you have ego before? You want to tell her wrong with your husband? You're right. But do you have ego? You want to tell her what's wrong with the kids? A lot of time when people marry a woman or marry a husband or have a kids, they feel they have the right to talk to them as they wish. We don't have the right to talk to the husband or the wife or the kids as we wish because they are my kids, because they are my, she's my wife or he's my husband. No, no. We cannot take them for granted. Lower your ego a little bit. Or your neighbor. That's your neighbor. There is a reason why God put you together. There is a reason why God put you and your neighbor together. Everything is a perfectly designed for my soul. The ego is the mother of all evil. Whatever you say, I'm the worst, which is ego too. Or I'm the best, which is absolutely ego. There's two types of egos that Ramchal say. I cannot go into it right now. But one thing that Ari is saying, Rabbi Isaac Luria is saying, every time you're about to do something good, stop and do tshuva. Do repentance. So you are about to light candle for Shabbat or candle for Hanukkah. Stop. Don't do it yet. Close your eyes and think about your ego today. Did you have ego? Ask for forgiveness for the ego. Ask for forgiveness for hurting people. Then go and light the 
the candle. Then go and bake the challah. Then go and study Torah. Because if you go and study Torah without doing the tshuva, without doing all what I say before, then the light that revealed from that candle, the light revealed from that challah, the light that revealed from that charity, go directly to the dark side. And that's the dangerous of, uh, of uh, doing it. And I'm reading it directly from the Ari, those of you who want to know. It says, uh, So stronger. If you don't do tshuva, if you don't work on yourself, where is my ego? What do I need to change? What is a, what is a mature person? Some people ask me, what is a mature person? Person who's recognized what's wrong with them. If you don't see what's wrong with you, you're a baby. When you see what's wrong with you, you're mature. How do we know that? The diapers. Very simple. If you have children, the diapers concept. When the child knows that something going on in the diaper is no good, mature. But in the beginning, smell bad for everybody, look bad to everybody, well, the babies can eat while you're changing his diaper. No big deal. It's called Shoresh Akaratara according to Rabbi Yehuda Ashlag. The recognition of the filth from within make you mature, spiritually mature. You don't see what's wrong with you from within, make you a baby in spirituality. So when you look inside, and you see what's wrong with you? You're growing. Don't look at it as a bad thing. It's growing. But only if you find it and you're happy to find it. Every time you do tshuva, every time you're doing a repentant, repent about negativity, all the light that you gave to the dark side, you can pull it out of there and it can become part of your soul. Now, you have to remember one thing. There is all type of people in the world, right? But the Ari said, Rabbi Isaac Luria say, we have people that their act are good, but the way they behave is bad. Now, I know it's, it's confusing because midotav means attribute. Attribute meaning, let's say, anger issues, attribute. But the good action, they pray, they meditate, they give money to the poor, they're wonderful with the action. But they have anger issue, or they have lust issue, or they have addiction. But they're great people. Those are one type of people. Why? Why? why they, and then there is people who their action is terrible. They never give charity. They never care for others. They never. But they never get angry. They're nice. They're kind. Full of manners. How come? And then there is, of course, people what we call tzaddikim, righteous, that they're perfect and everything. Tell us the Arizal, because there is people that born righteous, but because they did a mistake, they did some sin, then a soul that coming from the dark side, dwelling on their head, and don't let them all the time to be perfect. Then there is people who born bad, but because they did one good thing, then there is a dwell of a soul of a righteous around them who help them to do better. And then there is people who born righteous and capable to keep themselves righteous. Why do we need to know that? A lot of time, before you're doing what you're doing, you know, how do you see yourself? That's a question. How do you see yourself? 
If you're not humble yourself, my friend, if you not look at how can I be better, a lot of time I see couples that I love so much and I know how much they love each other. And they fight with each other over how much sleeping they have and how much, I don't know, kiss she gave him, he gave her, or can I forget the anniversary, not forget her. Ego. All going back to the ego and ego and ego and ego and ego again. Gotta do tshuva, gotta do repentant before you do an act. And it reminds me, we'll end up with that, you know, my parents, if there is something I learned from my parents, you know, I don't tell a lot of stories of my parents, but my parents were humble, truly humble, like not humble to show off. They didn't try to show off, they didn't care if people see it or not. They were humble, for real humble. You know, one of those people who are humble, but they don't care that you know they're humble, so you never know they're humble. You know, because people are humble, but make sure the whole world knows that they're humble. They were the first kind. Simple people. No, you would not even know they're there. You know, very like really simple people. And the idea, when I look at them now, of course, when I'm more mature, when I was a kid, I was judging. Now, they did whatever they can with their hand to work with their hand, if it's to wash floors, if it's to wash school, if it's to work as a gardener, to work as a constructor, whatever job they can do to make sure that their kids will make it. It doesn't matter what roughness they went through and they went through, my God, every minute was a roughness in their life. But they were able to, to make it. And you know what they did at the end of the night? They were sitting and laughing about themselves. And the reason I'm sharing that story, because when I look back, how they treat people and how they make people happy, and how they were really simple. My father was not a rabbi, he was a working man, just working. My mother was not like Kamikos Holy or anything like this. But it's funny, I judged them all my life. And in one point, the reason it changed, one of the, my clients that I'm advising him how to have a better life and what to do, Met my parents and I tried to make my parents don't meet my clients. I said, eh, listen, my parents are too simple. They don't fully understand Kabbalah, spirituality, forget that. But he said, listen, uh, do you mind if I go with them to dinner? Say, yeah, go ahead to dinner. They don't eat. They, you will see, they don't eat outside. They only eat at the house. They're very, very humble, simple people. So, okay. So what he did, he cooked together with them in the house and he started talking to them. He was going through a rough time because his girlfriend went with his best friend and uh, she left him and he was... Really, really depressed. Two months after my parents left the United States, they went back to Israel. He came to me and said to me, you know, I want you to know my your parents saved my life. And I started laughing at him. <laughs> what do you mean? He's not a rabbi, my father. He's not an advisor. He's a worker, man. He's just like to work with his hand. He said to me, you don't know your parents. I said the truth. Uh, many people told me this. I don't know them. So they were sitting with me. They didn't have to. Hours. Until I would know how to cope and how to deal with my girlfriend left me. They get me out of my bed. They get me out of depression. They get me out of all the problem. They make me a man again. And at that moment, I was so ashamed that I didn't know my parents at all. And then when many students of Yeshivot and Ravanim used to go to my mother to get a blessing, for getting uh, married or having children. I never understood why people go to my mom. She's a simple woman, stick on the chair, 
and just smiling and supporting as much as you can. Very, they were very poor. My parents were very poor. And they go to for bracha, for blessing. Sometimes, my friend, you live next to a people who got it all, humble, simple people, but you don't see it. I was blind to see my parents. I didn't see who they are and what they're standing for. I was busy being that rabbi, that teacher, that scholar, knowing better than everybody else, reading all the books, memorizing the books, what they say. But in the end of the day, a lot of time, the simple people who support, like I said in the beginning, others are way more powerful than the one who make the presentation. So may the soul rest in peace and may the help of my uh, father and my mother will rest up on you and bless all of you. And I wish also myself, you know, to be, to learn to be less ego and humble uh, soon, I hope. And all the best, everybody. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.